I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my interview today was uh, a bit of a, a fluke. It came through a friend of mine, and uh, we're going to be interviewing a woman by the name of Annie Parker. She works not far outside of Toronto. She she uses the phrase, it's not me, it's we. She's a survivor of a very rare form of cancer. She was one of the first people in Canada to be tested for uh, looking for the genetic link uh, between what's called the BRCA gene. I, I knew nothing about this. Uh, she's had a film 
made about her called Decoding Annie Parker. It's about her story uh, based on a book that was written called Annie Parker Decoded. You're not going to believe who was in the film. I mean, the, the cast is crazy. Uh, Aaron Paul, Helen Hunt, um, a couple guys from West Wing. I mean, it's 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 just, it's really crazy. And, and what's what's interesting, crazy in a good way, of course. But what we, we, we talked about a lot, a profound respect for the, the medical profession. We we talked about her, her um, the way she worked through some of the, the issues that she addressed over the years. She lost her mother. She lost her daughter. I mean, ultimately, it sounds like a very sad and tragic story. And you know what? On some level, it is. But I've met Annie. I've hung out with her. I've interviewed her. This is not about being down. This is about inspiration. This is about activism. It's about hope. I, I know you're going to enjoy this. See if you can get a hand uh, a handle on the book. Uh, see if you can uh, catch the film and you're going to you're going to enjoy this interview. So stay tuned. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest here today, uh, somebody who I've just had the opportunity to meet and, 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 and enjoy her company over lunch. Annie Parker is with us today here at the Living Arts Center, uh, in which is pretty appropriate, actually, now that I think about it, the Living Arts Center in Mississauga, Ontario. Annie, thank you for joining us today. David, it's a real pleasure to be here, and thank you for coming to Mississauga. That's right. It was a long drive for me. Uh, Annie Parker, Decoded is the book. Uh, Decoding Annie Parker is the name of the film that was made pretty recently, and if you're a um, uh, an engaged listener right now, you're checking that out online, and you are going to IMDb to find out what a crazy stellar cast was in this Hollywood film. So I'm sure we're going to get into some of that. Uh, as we move into the uh, the conversation here today, Annie, but why why is there a book and a movie about Annie Parker? Um, well, the reason that there was a book is that um, initially I wanted the whole world to know about the fact that cancer can be hereditary. Uh, many years ago, it was or it was felt by doctors that there wasn't a connection between genetics and cancer diagnosis. And I was out to prove them wrong. Um, it all started when I lost my mom at 14 years old. Mm. And um, my mom passed away from a secondary cancer because she had her initial cancer when she was expecting me. And I, truly, cancer was a closet disease back in the 50s and 60s. Which is hard to believe today. It, absolutely. I mean, With all walk, social media. We couldn't go into the lobby here at the Living Arts Center and most people would be touched in some way by cancer. Sad but true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think they've come a long way with detecting cancer in today's society, um, but we certainly have to go a lot further in finding a cure. So uh, back to my original uh, story is that my mom, as I said, passed away when I was 14. But I also learned from my sister back in about 1957 that my mom had actually uh, been diagnosed with cancer when she was expecting me. And she chose at that time not to have anything done about her breast cancer until after I was born. Hmm. So consequently, um, when I was born, I was raised by my grandmother and my aunt as my mom endured uh, a double, sorry, a single mastectomy and uh, also months of cobalt treatment for her breast cancer. They don't do cobalt treatment anymore even, today. I haven't even heard of it. Yes. Um, a very horrific form of treatment after surgery, 
but uh, again, they've come a long way with, with that kind of treatment. So um, my mom was very ill for a very long time. She survived for many years, 14, and then uh, she died from a very rare form of cancer, which was around her heart. Hmm. And uh, she had actually got up one morning, it was my mom and dad's wedding anniversary actually, and uh, she was getting ready to go to the hairdresser as we were trying to find out from my dad what he was going to do for her wedding anniversary that day instead of something doing the usual flowers and taking her to the same restaurant. We were trying to convince him to do something a little special, a little different. And we heard a thud from the uh, upstairs of our home. And I grew up in Toronto, west end of Toronto. And that breakfast, well, that morning was the first time I ever, uh, last time I saw her, I saw my mom alive. Mm. Um, and it was from there that I found out about her secondary cancer and the cancer, her first initial cancer, which was breast cancer. Um, yeah, so... And so I would imagine at that point, how old were you then? 14. So you're 14, so already I would think you're pretty thoughtful at this point and asking some pretty serious questions about your own health, I would think. Oh, by the way, for the listeners out there, maybe we should impose a bit of a tearjerker alert right now. Uh, but I will, I will let you all know, having just spent lunch with Annie, this is not a sad story, ultimately. This is a really profoundly hopeful and inspirational uh, story. It really is. It's uh, really quite remarkable. So stay tuned. <laughs> well, you're right. It is, it is a story about a lot of pain and suffering, mm -hmm. but coming out the other side. Yeah, and, and to yeah. prove to people that certainly cancer, first diagnosis, second diagnosis, third diagnosis can be beaten. So you've had three diagnoses yes, of I the have. disease and they've all been rather remarkable I guess in their own way and, yes. and I don't mean that in a good way just very different rare forms of, of cancer very different and I'm sure we'll get talking about the BRCA gene yeah. um, but breast goes to ovarian so breast was my first form of cancer and then uh, before the BRCA gene was discovered I ended up with third stage ovarian cancer. Ovarian cancer is still today a very tough form of cancer to diagnose in women. So when did you start thinking, so my father had Parkinson's disease and, and for many, many years, and when my brother and I found out in our late 20s, and that's quite a while ago now, you know, one of the first questions that comes up at the risk of sounding a little bit too self-absorbed, that's my wife laughing in the background, um, <laughs> How's this going to affect me? Yes. Am I going to get Parkinson's? And so on. And you would hear things like, well, it's not hereditary. And yes. Then I, and, and I'm enough of a philosopher to know, uh, to ask another few questions. How do you know that? <laughs> you can barely tell me anything about the disease. You can't cure it. Yes. You know, how do you know it's not hereditary? I was a very curious child, mm -hmm. absolutely. Why is the, the sky blue? Why, yeah, is, why is the grass green? You know, yeah, the usual yeah. questions. But... I always felt that there was some form of connection. I, I wanted to know what cancer was when I learned. And, and I'm just going to correct you a little mm -hmm, bit, if please. I may, David. Yeah, please is do that. Is that it does affect you. But a diagnosis of cancer and perhaps every mm -hmm, disease mm -hmm. is that when your mother is ripped out of your life at 14 years old, mm -hmm. It affects the whole family. Yo, yeah, yeah. Um, we grew up in a middle-class family, um, happy, loving family uh, for many years. And then you lose your mother, who was really, her job was to look after the family. And especially back then, 
my mom never worked outside the mm -hmm. home. And my dad went to work every day. He mm -hmm. was a provider financially, mm -hmm. but every other way it was my mom. Mm -hmm. So when, us, yeah. when my mom died, the family unit as we knew it died. Mm. Everybody was looking after themselves. Everybody wanted to know how they were going to survive the next day. And my dad actually went into a very deep depression. Mm, I don't so know sorry, yeah. how he got himself up every day and, and went to work. He did. He, he just had that ethic. So that your mom was the thread that held the community of your family together. Absolutely. But remember, it was back in the 50s. Yes, right. Um, so, yes, that was her role. So as I said, everybody kind of just got up every day and went about their business. But I was the youngest. Joni was my oldest sister who has passed from cancer. And um, she's 10 years older than me. And then my brother was five years, is five years older than I am. So I was the baby of the family. So my sister was actually living her own life. She had been married and had come back, had been divorced and come back with her youngest son and was living with us. Um, but went to work every day. Um, my brother was just about finished high school. I was starting high school. So it was very tough to go to school every day and listen to people whispering in, in mm. the hallways, uh, there's a girl that lost her mom to mm. cancer. Mm. So that started my wheels turning, mm -hmm. thinking, what is this cancer? Every little hangnail I felt, every little stomach ache I had, I wondered back then at 14, if I was going to be diagnosed wow. with cancer. Wow, that's yeah. got to be so hard to carry. I mean, talk about uh, overarching implications that you just, you can't put a, put a, you can't put any value to that. I mean, but it's it having a, a huge impact on you. Absolutely. Psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Yes. I actually, um, was told back then, and I guess I was a bit of a hypochondriac, but I was told back then that I need, and years after, that I needed psychiatric help. No, here we go. Yes. The, the person that's going to answer all your questions and do everything for you is going to be a psychiatrist. You need a little, need a little shock therapy there, Annie. Yes, absolutely. Just to absolutely. put you back into check. Yeah. The, the little yeah. girl that was in shock from losing her mother yeah. needed some more shock treatment. Wow. But um, so that's how, you know, I, I often say that cancer came into my life before I was born and never left. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because again, I, in the womb, um, my mom was suffering so you, from you, breast cancer. So you talked a little bit about the pain and misery of it all. I mean, you know, uh, I'm a bit of an existentialist. So, you know, existentialism, they like to think about death and those kinds of things. You know, you read the French uh, philosophers and the German philosophers. You know, yes. people say things like, and I say this all the time, someday I'll wear a t-shirt. You know, you, you're sub I was raised to not talk about sex, religion, and politics. And I've added a fourth to that, and that's death. We don't talk about death. No. We don't talk about sex and religion and politics the way that we need to. Very prescriptive, I know. But I just want to add a little more humanity. Let's be a little more authentic and transparent when we get into a room and so on. So let's, can't we talk about some of this stuff? And so, so but how do you not, um, hmm, you're in the 50s, pain and misery, lose, lost your mother. Where do you go at that point? I mean, I go, you become a, you become a card-carrying evangelical or a Buddhist, or you go and live on a mountain somewhere and burn incense and smoke marijuana for the rest of your life. You <laughs> I know? wish it was that easy. <laughs> and, and, and truly, you reach those crossroads. Yeah. Which, which road are you going yeah. to take? Are you yeah. going to go north or are you going to go south? Some kind of conversion experience of yes. some kind. 
right? what can you imagine being 14 and the first funeral you've ever gone to mm. because again like you mentioned nobody talked about it. everybody protected you yeah. from it well they're whispering in the hallways yes. right yes yeah. and and i know my parents had been to funerals and where they sort of had to make that decision oh do we take the children with us absolutely right. not they're too young to, deal, too with young this. to deal with it yeah. so what i had to deal with was the death of my mom my favorite person in, at 14, I wanted my mother to be around for all those questions that of I course. had as an adolescent. Of course, yeah. What was I doing? I was watching as they were picking out the dress she was going mm. to be buried in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it really was a horrible experience for me and going to the funeral and having people coming up to me and saying, you know, how, how are you getting through this? How are you managing? Yep. How do you think I'm managing? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not managing. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, so was there a, I mean, to ask you if there was a dark period is, is a, a really silly question, but was there a dark period that led you somewhere else? Because it sure seems that way. It seems to me like, you know, you, you are hopeful. This, this movie, this book couldn't have been done if you weren't. You know, I hear you, you say you want to be an activist, you want to tell the story, you, you've got to get word on the street. That's not coming from somebody who's living in a deeply melancholic world, it seems to me. No, and I wasn't, David. I, um, you know, many years went by and it was just a case of survival for me. Um, I was still in the home. I still felt as, as the baby of the family, if you will, that I needed to support my father and, and really help him. Um, my dad and I were fairly close. I was definitely his little girl, hence mm -hmm. Annie, as I mm -hmm. mentioned to you over right. lunch. And um, I w would always be that way, and I hated to see him suffer so. So I tried desperately to pick up the pieces from that. I think, and this is a nice segue, I guess, um, is that when I became really depressed, thought about the marijuana and mm -hmm. everything else was when my sister was diagnosed because she yeah. became my surrogate Well, mom. this is the thing for me. What's so remarkable about your story is it's not just one. No. It's several people. It's several types. It's breakthrough. It's new discovery. I mean, it's a crazy story. Yes. Yes. And the, the connections of it, you yes. know. Yes. Absolutely. And, and again, back then, um, there was no inkling. And I, in all fairness to doctors, because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the medical profession. And I have complete admiration for anybody that goes into the medical field. But they just didn't know. They just were reading books. They just felt that there was absolutely no connection between family history and uh, and cancer. And then when, as I said, when my sister was diagnosed in 1978, um, all of a sudden the floodgates opened. She knew how I felt earlier on that nobody was communicating with me. And at that time I was now 20-ish and um, I had married very, very young and had my son at a very young age. So I was married, had a son, and now had to, to deal with my, my, my sister, who had became my mother and best friend, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, with her breast cancer. So my mom, breast cancer in original site. My sister, 78, again, original site of breast. Of course, I'm thinking, when am I going to develop breast right, cancer? Right. Um, so my sister survived about a year and a half. Um, her breast cancer had gone from breast to um, bowel, 
but I found out later when there was a discovery of uh, the BRCA gene that the doctors actually, the geneticists actually felt that it went from breast to ovarian to bowel. And uh, she died in, in latter part actually of 1979. So um, that really put me over the edge and, mm -hmm. and that was a time that I started my obsession with reading and finding out because I knew this just couldn't be bad luck. I just couldn't be losing all these important people in my family to bad luck. So, okay, so I'm going to go back to this uh, one more time and then I want to move on to the BRCA gene and I want to hear about more, more about where we're heading with some of this genetic uh, versus lifestyle stuff. I want to talk about that as well if, if we can. But sure. So you say you, you, that's when my obsession with reading and, 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 and uh, you know, um, Exploration, I guess, began after your sister died. Why didn't you turn to alcohol? Like, I'm, I, I don't get it. You said I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah I maybe you did. Really? Maybe you did. But, no, no, but you uh, know what I'm saying. Like, no. we're making fun of it in a way, and we probably shouldn't. But, but I do. I wouldn't expect to meet somebody like you in the, in the boardroom of the Living Arts Center and the level. You, not, not because I don't believe in the hu human spirit. In fact, quite the yes. contrary, I do. But I'm fascinated in my own life, the pain and, and sort of despair that I've had to deal with. Right. And the inkling towards, not just alcohol, but the inkling and towards escape. Yes. You didn't do that. Or maybe you did for a period, but... No, I did escape, actually. I escaped into the library. Mm, I wanted. Nice. I wanted answers. And Good. I, nice. for your listeners, when nice. I say library, everybody's like, library. Um, because remember, That's a great we, phrase. no social media. Yeah, right, exactly. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. You weren't checking no. Twitter for the latest article on, on, uh, on, on Brackagene. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So I nice. spent a lot of time researching medical journals, um, looking up people that may have had an inkling that perhaps like me, that I wasn't crazy the medical profession might have an idea that there's something coming down the tubes in regards to uh, genetic and, and the relationship between genetics and cancer. So that's where my obsession was. It, it wasn't in a so drink, you, you it wasn't in a You directed your energy in a really positive way. I, I yeah. didn't know I was doing that yeah. back then, yeah. but I certainly felt I owed that to my mother and my sister, yeah. and also a first cousin that died the same year. Well, so isn't it interesting, you know, and we chatted a little bit about this over lunch, That and, and this is the existential angle as well from uh, the philosophical tradition, but philosophical tradition, but it's freedom and choice and responsibility. Yes. Right? You had the freedom to go a couple of ways, not just two. There were many of choices you yes. could have made. But you chose the library, you chose knowledge, you chose discovery, you chose, I need to get to the bottom of this in a way that others either aren't willing to or something. And, and what I love is you had the, call it arrogance, call it tenacity, call it desire to say, okay, something, something's not right here and I'm, I'm going to find it. And fear. Plain, Plain fear. Hmm. earth, ordinary fear that we've all experienced. Mm -hmm. I, I've had it too many times and for too long, but again, I felt I owed it to my family to, to see uh, what I could find and how I could um, beat this fear into submission, like how I could and get at, answers. And at this point, um, your answers were really about your mom and your sister. You still didn't know at this point. No, I did not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. not till 1980. So yes. two, two more years? Yes. 
two, so two more years, two years after your sister had passed? Yes, I developed breast cancer, yes. Well then, that was an Eureka moment. Of course. You know, because um, kind of put everything into perspective. Um, kind of silly, kind of, um, yeah, this is probably the time that I felt I really needed to talk to somebody professionally because nobody was listening. Oh, do you uh, mean like, like a psychologist? Psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah, right, right, nobody sure. was listening prior to this point. Right. Where do you find a woman that's elated when a doctor says you have breast cancer? Because all I wanted to do was say, I told you so. Nobody was listening for the last 10 years. Can you please listen to me now? Are you now going to say to me, my mother, my sister, again, a, a first cousin, and now me, that this is all bad luck? So that was in, in 1980, and um, you know I went through a, a full mastectomy, and that was because the doctor said, given your family history. And that's the first time any doctor in any office that somebody had actually said to me, given your family history. It's a great, it's a great phrase yes. in, in light of our conversation. Absolutely, and, but there was still no medical knowledge about a genetic mutation. And now we're talking about 1980. So, yes. I mean, third, 35, sorry for the mathematicians out there, 35 years? Uh, oh, yes, <laughs> thank you. 35 years. <laughs> yes, yes, so 35 not years. not that long ago. No, I was 29 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, let, for sake of time, let's talk a little bit about the, 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 that, that discovery, the BRCA gene, the, yes. the, the realization. I mean, I, I'll never forget for, you know, those moments you have. And it was a conversation my brother and I were having about my dad, probably, and his Parkinson's and whether mm -hmm. or not, you know, we might even have been talking about commiserating over the fact that, Stephen, I, you know, I don't know, every now and then I get this twitch in my lip and uh, sure. I'm... What do you think? You know, and so, and he would. I'd get the odd note from him or call from him about things like that, and and so, do you think we're in line for this, right? And so, but I remember him doing clearly doing some reading as well, kind of like you. And uh, he said, you know, so much of this is gotta be genetic. I'll never forget it. And it's yes, of course, it's somewhat lifestyle. You know, if you live in a uh, a vial of, of, of poison all your life, that's probably going to have yes. an impact long-term. Um, that's a no-brainer. But where, where does the genetic side kick in? Mm -hmm. I, a um, few years had passed, and again, for the sake of time here, we will move forward. I actually, as I mentioned before, had this eureka moment. I got breast cancer. I survived, I dealt with it and survived breast cancer. So it was almost like I had a new lease on life, David, mm -hmm. that things sure. were going to be okay. Mm. Um, eight years moving forward, I was not feeling well and uh, would, of course, go to the doctor every year for a checkup and making sure everything was okay. But this was actually happening in my abdomen. And I had a lot of tests done, and the tests were coming back clear. But I kept persisting with my family doctor, who is a male, by the way, so it doesn't have a lot of women parts. So mm. um, I actually asked for a second opinion. And it's a good thing I did 
because after going to a, a female gynecologist and comparing results from a few tests prior to that, she thought she saw some differences. Isn't that interesting? And see, now there's a subject of a whole podcast. Today, oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Just talking about, I mean, forget about the gender disparity, but just the lens yes. that this doctor versus the woman gynecologist yes. brought to the table. Yes. She saw the something the other guy didn't. That picked up. Lovely. So, Love that observation. Right. So um, went in to what, and, and I'm not going to get into the women anatomy, but what I did was go into hospital for day surgery. Uh -huh. And what was actually found out is what they thought it was, it wasn't. And sadly what it was, was third stage ovarian. So any of your listeners out there would know that there is only, that have been involved with ovarian cancer, uh, know that there's only four stages. So I wasn't in very good shape. And uh, it had metastasized to uh, a few areas in my uh, abdominal cavity, and uh, it meant severe um, treatment after surgery. So I had a lot of my parts removed and went through a year of chemotherapy after wow. that. But let me tell you also an interesting story, if I may. When I went into hospital for the ovarian cancer, when I woke up the next day, there was my family doctor the surgeon and a psychologist by my bedside and they had actually told my 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 husband now but my my live-in boyfriend at the time Michael um, that they didn't want him to break the news to me they wanted to be the ones to break the news hmm. so I actually phoned Michael in the middle of the night I had come around a little bit out of my drowsiness and called him and, and I, it must have been in the back of my mind because I said to him, please tell me that this wasn't cancer. And he said to me, it is not cancer. He was told by the medical profession not to tell me. They wanted, he wasn't expecting the middle of the night phone call, mm. but of course he had to take the, you know, he, he did listen to the medical profession. So when I woke up and they told me that it was third stage ovarian. You can imagine how angry I was at Michael. We have obviously overcome that. I married the man and mm -hmm. we're fine, but. Mm -hmm. um, Why, I, why would you marry him? I'm uh, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Jeez, I asked myself that. No, um, we only got married three years ago, actually, and we've been together 27. Mm. So maybe it took me all that long to, right. to forgive him. That's right. But, you got um, a lot of work to do there, big exactly. guy. Exactly. <laughs> It just, I'm just trying to, and again, I have such respect for the medical profession. Mm -hmm. They all make mistakes. But it just goes back again to um, communication yeah. and keeping yeah. the patient aware. I mean, and. Uh, well, how about just truth? Yes. How about just authenticity, transparency, all that stuff? I, I, I've, you know, uh, I've had quite a few experiences with, I have psoriatic arthritis and I've been through the last three years, you know, the word that I have come to find really interesting is non-remarkable. So right. I had many tests, including prodding and tubes and colonoscopies and sigmoidoscopies and, and down, done down the throat and MRIs. <laughs> yes. And so what I loved to see when I saw a test result was a non-remarkable finding. And I, and yes. I would always make a joke about yes. that because that's a yeah. good thing, yes. right? It's a good thing that it's non-remarkable. Borderline normal. That's right. That's right. I love that kind of stuff. Yes. Wow. Could you guys be any less human about this? 
you know. And listen, I got a lot of respect and love for the medical community as well. I really do. Yes. But a little dose of, of humanity every now and then might not be a bad idea. I couldn't agree you know? with you more. Wow. You know, I've kind of wondered sometimes, and let's get back to BRCA, uh, BRCA gene. BRCA, uh, which is BR for breast, CA for cancer. So breast cancer gene mutation one or two. One or two. So let's get back to that in a second from a discovery sort of perspective. But tell me a little bit about your thoughts on medicine, the community, dealing with emergency medicine versus chronic medicine. Like I, I have this sense, and I'm no expert in this by any means, but having just gone through kind of some, about three years of testing and issues and things, it seems like I've got a really tough time finding things that are hard to find. Wow, that's really profound there, David. Um, but do you know what I mean? No, I, I so, you know what? So if I, I fall agree. off the balcony here at the LAC and break my neck and break yes. my arm and lose my arm in a pool of blood, they're going to do a great job and get me back together again and I'll be up on my feet in three months. I'm pretty confident of that. Yes. Right? Physio, yes. this guy and this specialist and this but it's the chronic stuff, right? Yes. It's because, like you said, Curing they found the common cold. Well, they went it. in to find something, and, and and what did you? What was your phrase? You said it wasn't what they thought it was. It was something worse. Right. And I want to go. How the hell did that happen? Right. Right. Well, I think a lot of the testing that we do today, whether it be CAT scan or MRI, you also another term that's I think that is used a lot with the medical profession is false positive. <laughs> what? That makes what? me crazy. I don't, like, what does that even mean? Because yeah. I think a lot of the machines today are are so sensitive. Right, they're and afraid they're, they're going to get the wrong. Yes, I have in my belly a lot of scar tissueing mm -hmm. going on. Hmm, is it scar tissueing or is it a new mass? Right, right. right? So, I, I yeah, the, think the, we, the the other side of that coin would be for men would be the PSA tests, right? Absolutely, they for can, prostate. They can show yes. prostate cancer when yes. in fact it's actually not prostate cancer, yes. or at least yeah. Yes. So that's the false positive, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is we've detected or we perfected a lot of the machinery that we do today, but it's also opened a whole new can of worms. Yeah, of course it has. Right? Yeah. For chronic, yeah, of for course chronic it has. disease. Well, and I think too, in all fairness, and believe me, I learned this and I'm sure you did too, what are all the other things they saw as a result of all, the, of all these wretched tests that they did for you? Ultimately, yes. they saved your life, no, no question. Yes, and continue they, to do so. Right, but what else are they seeing that they would never have, in, yeah. 100 years ago, been able to even detect that probably you're gonna be okay, Yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and I just, I had a, my final specialist appointment recently, and he said to me, I don't want to see you again for 10 more years. Oh! <laughs> Which is well, wonderful, we, Yes, right? that's Which absolutely. But that his, we can understand. Yeah, but his comment was, David, half of what we've looked at here 20 or 30 years ago, we probably wouldn't have even been looking yes. at had we not seen something on a test that we did for something else. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I it's, agree. it's really, and then listen, I'm so not saying it's easy to figure out chronic yes. disease. That's not no. my point at all. Yeah. I guess my, my point would be where does the research need to be heading, yep. right? Yeah. The technology and so on. And I go, because I'm in high risk, and because I was the BRCA gene, right, I, one of the first pioneers to be tested for the BRCA gene mutation, um, I am in at Sunnybrook Hospital. My hospital has saved my life many, many times is um, I go every year, just went 
to Saturday because now they're doing everything like this on weekends too. I went uh, and had an MRI done of my one remaining breast. So mm. they mm. keep keep really good tabs mm -hmm. on the one breast that I have. Yeah, so yeah. Um, and that's done annually because yeah. I'm part of their high risk study. Can I ask you about your? You can go. You can go philosophical here. You can go practical. Whatever. Naturopathic versus pharmacology. Pharmacology. I, I understand. Drugs versus uh, herbs. Right. Right. Herbs. Um, herbs. Herbs. Drugs versus marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. Well, let's just right. say that's, that's, that's right. another uh, another that's topic. That's another, another podcast. Uh, yes, yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've done both, yeah. and certainly, well, in fact, all the medical things that I'm asked to do, again, I have a huge respect, and I've said this so many times mm. in this interview, but I, I would never forfeit what my doctors tell me I should do to, to go to a naturopath and, and, and take herbs and things. In saying that, I do have a naturopath, yeah. and I do um, to feel better. I do go, yeah. and, but I also talk over this with my oncologist or my, my family doctor and say, hey, by the way, um, I'm, I thought I might do this, I thought I might do and they would give, say nay or yay or say, hey, listen, if it makes you feel better, go ahead. Have you found that they're a little more sensitive to that, a little more open, your doctors? You must have a lot of doctors yes. over the last 15, yes. 20, 30 years. Couldn't set it better myself, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, yes. Yeah, I once, I, uh, my rheumatologist once said to me, if I thought putting a rock under your pillow would make you feel better, yes. that's what I would tell you to do. Yeah, right? or acupuncture, yeah. too. Yeah. A lot of uh, yeah. doctors think that acupuncture really Which helps. was just, which, that's, that was, witches did acupuncture yes. 25 or 30 years ago, yes, right? absolutely. We've come a long way, haven't <laughs> yeah, we? we have indeed. Yes. So you broke some ground because of this gene that you had. Tell, yes. tell me about that. Was that a, an aha moment for the doctors as well? Like, was this medical community stuff? Have you been written up in medical journals? Um, good question. I should ask my oncologist <laughs> that, actually. Um, no, I decided to go the movie slash book route. That's right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> After yeah. all my reading yeah. of my medical yeah. over yeah. the years, yeah. medical journals. Yeah, and you just wanted to get to a Hollywood party. That's all That's this all is, I really yeah, wanted that's to all do. This really, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, no, and I feel very fortunate and very blessed, all kidding aside, mm -hmm. but um, so 1998 was my third stage ovarian cancer. Um, I, if I ever thought I was going to lose my life, it, it was mm -hmm. at that point because that's again hard, hard to deal with and um, chemotherapy for a year, which was very grueling. I was off work for a year and um, it, it wasn't fun, let's say that. So I was recuperating from that and I um, got a call from my oncologist jumping forward a few years because it was in 1994 that they actually made the breakthrough with the BRCA1 gene mutation. And my uh, oncologist said, we have a bit of a breakthrough, a bit, we have a breakthrough. Mm. And um, they're looking, Dr. Mary Claire King is looking for people to be tested. And we also have an amazing gentleman here by the name of Dr. Stephen Nayrod. He is our answer to Dr. King in the U.S. Dr. Nayrod is a friend and a geneticist and an amazing individual. And he was running a clinic out of Canada uh, for, and looking for people with high-risk families of breast cancer to be tested for this newly discovered BRCA gene. So my oncologist called me through Dr. Nayrod's clinic and asked if I wanted uh, to be tested. And of course, it was like, where do I sign up? Like, yeah, yeah. do I want to be tested? Abracadabra. Yeah. yeah, this was an absolute incredible phone call that I received. 
So I, uh, I went down to Toronto General and had the testing done. Um, my aunt was also tested and the two of us were tested and then a year later my brother was tested. My sister of course we assumed had it and we're assuming that my mother also had it because they do a whole pedigree on your family. So um, not like today, so talk about anxiety and talk about wanting to hit the bottle um, uh, and I don't mean that in, in a funny way, I'm just saying that it took almost two years for me to get my results. Oh. Uh, today, love. I know, and today, women, men, the result blood, it's a simple blood test and women can get it, sorry, people can get it back within um, two weeks time. Covered by, covered by OHIP? Yes, it is. If you're from a high-risk family, ah. you have to go into a genetic counselor, whether it be at Princess Margaret, uh, Sunnybrook, and, and go over a whole a realm of questions um, but yes if, if you have to and it's I believe today is two immediate family members and then OHIP covers the test. Well and the reality is if if you're concerned are you not willing to try to find that money somewhere I'm sure it's expensive but um, it's just really kind of interesting recently I was told about a test that I only only because I asked but had not been even tabled because it wasn't covered by OHIP. Well I haven't say a $25 test Oh, I'll okay. go out to the office and ask for 25 bucks right now for the test if yes. I can't afford that. Yes. If that's going to help in some way, but they, they they didn't even offer it to me because OHIP didn't cover it. It's 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 a weird thing we this OHIP thing we got going on here, right? It is. But let's get to your first what yeah. we just talked about yeah. first. It it is um, one point that you missed here is being tested for the BRCA gene mutation is a personal decision hmm. and a very hard decision to make because it will change your life. If you have it. If you have it. Oh, change your life if you don't have it. If you it. don't have it, or at least it should. Yes. I'm going to tell you a very quick story, mm -hmm. if, I, if I may. Please. So um, my nephew is six foot five, scrapping police sergeant in one of our, our local regions. His son was doing a science project and it was on genetics. Hmm. And Ryan, his son, asked if, if his dad would be genetically tested for his project, the same gene that Aunt Anne carries. So he decided that he would be tested. He was sitting on the fence about being tested as a lot of my nephews and nieces are, and my son. And it, uh, he went to Princess Margaret with me to be tested in the clinic because I know people in high places. I bet you do, yeah. Yes, Dr. Nayrod's <laughs> clinic. Fast forwarding, it, it did only take him, I think, a couple of months because I wanted the mm -hmm. blood test to be sent to, doc, sent to Dr. Nayrod's mm -hmm. clinic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he finally got his results. His wife and I went down with Tim. Men have this thing about crying and they don't like to do it. Tim's head hit the desk in the conference room and he wept openly like a baby. First thing he was was embarrassed because that's what men do when mm -hmm. they cry they get embarrassed. Mm -hmm. The second thing was he said in that room that he had never felt such a weight off his shoulders Wow! Yeah. to get that negative result. N negative meaning it was, he was Sorry, okay. he was freed of the BRCA. And that means that if they were to have any more children, which they wouldn't have, but that meant my nephew and his wife 
would not have to worry about that being packed because it stopped there. So I just want to yeah, let you know that yeah. there is a whole emotional thing around a negative or a positive result. If it's a positive result, then you have a whole realm of, of different things that you have to be deal with. Whether you want to have a double mastectomy like Angelina Jolie, whether you want to have your ovaries removed, whether you're just under surveillance uh, yearly. But with my nephew, it was that total weight being lifted off his shoulders. For, for finding out that he did not carry the gene mutation. Okay, so it seems to me you must still have a bit of personal weight on your shoulders. How the heck do you get out of bed in the morning, Mr. Social Change Consultant guy here, who wants to talk <laughs> about changing the world, about little things making a big difference, the domino effect and so on. You're doing great things. It's a hopeful story. You got a book, you got a movie. Most people aren't gonna get to a movie, maybe some to a book. The people you're work you're working you're doing a wonderful job in this you know facility and the list is, goes on. But how do you get out of bed in the morning? Like you know, is it is it is it with the weight of the world on your shoulders, or is it you know what? Another another day of opportunity. I'm not a sadist, no. So <laughs> I I get out of bed every morning from. And you're probably going to ask me then, well, how did you get out of bed prior to the right, movie right, and the right, book, right, right, right? And I don't right. know. It's, it's, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not special. Yeah. Um, I, I feel that the movie, and there are days that I find it difficult to get out of bed. Oh, but uh, what's the alternative, well, David? Well, see, now there's a great question, right? What the heck is the alternative? Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, and I, I, and think I still have a lot get, of living get, to get do. Shiver. There you go. That's, you, know, you see, that's I, beautiful. I still you, you said to me over, um, uh, over lunch, uh, it's not me, it's we. And it I mean, isn't you, me. You got me to we, and you got the whole free the children movement, and what's happening with young yes. people, and so on. Tell tell me a little bit more about that. Again, I have been very blessed by this film, and 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 have done incredible amount of traveling through the U.S. Um, through North America, we've done some incredible events over this subject here in in Canada too. Um, just the look on people's faces and the thank yous mm. for the mm -hmm. awareness and um, coming public with my story, which, which took a lot of soul searching. But I know I had to do this for my mom and my sister, and it is so rewarding to, to get emails from people just saying, you are, have been an inspiration to me. I'm not an Angelina Jolie but I am a, a, a normal everyday person that gets up every morning and has not a special job, but I'm glad I have a job, but mm -hmm. a, a job that I go to. I'm a Canadian woman doing everything that a lot of other women do every day. And um, just to let these people know that after one, two, and three severe cancer diagnosis, that I'm still here to tell the story. And if I have to do it a fourth time, I will. So. Um, it's listening to these women and listening to men because my brother does carry the BRCA gene mutation too um, that keeps me going. This is my passion. This is what I do. And so it's, you know, it's not me, it's we. I mean, for me, that's, I mean, that resonates on so many levels because the work I do, I think, is about others. It's about yes. community. And obviously there's something in it for me. I get that. We can talk about the incentive and all that. 
I mean, you're not making a, any money off this film, you know? The franchise rights alone are not making you rich beyond your wildest no. dreams. To I quote, have other rewards. You know? Yeah, yes. exactly, exactly. Yes. And there's something about the community side of it and the fact that you are giving back. And so, uh, I mean, I, I so love that, that you've taken what could have been such a sad, tragic story. And believe me, I get that there's sadness and tragedy to your story. But you've turned it on its head. Well, and I mean, you. and I'd I like to, yeah, that. and I'd like to think it's really still early. You know, it's kind of too early to tell how much you've t yes. turned it on its head, right? Yes. And one of the things I think, you know, we all need to remind ourselves every day, myself included, and believe me, it's not easy working in the field. We are making a difference, right? And we are yes. having an impact, even though we might not, feel, you know, so the, the handshakes, the icon, all these things matter. You know, absolutely. That's that's the I think the inspiration and the hope I find kind of embedded. There's lots of messages in your story, yes. but for 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 me, that's certainly certainly one of them for sure. And if I go days, weeks, um, getting a little overtired and doing a lot of traveling and missing flights or not missing flights but delayed flights and airports, right? It's yeah. you know what that's like. Oh, it's and, ugly. And, yeah. and it just takes. And then I get an email from somebody that says, hey, we're really interested in your story. Um, we'd like you to come on our our TV show or like the social here in Canada. Right, um, right. I was on the social promoting the movie and the book and that just brings me right back up to thinking, like you just said, you don't hear it every day, you may not hear it every week, but once in a while you get an email to say you're making a difference. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and, and, and even if, you, you know what, any, uh, I mean, even if you don't get those emails, I know, I'm pretty confident I could put a lot on the table on this, I know you are making a difference, and well, I think, thank you. you know, I think it's just, it's a no-brainer. No <laughs> um, sadly, we've got to wrap up. Um, thank you for uh, your, your candor and your honesty. I, I hope, I pretty much always say, uh, let's do a part two, and I've, I have done a part two with a few people, so I think we need to down the road. I'd be happy um, to. Um, a real pleasure getting to know you, and I just want to sort of close here with a, a quote from the New York Times about the film. And, uh, Steve Holden says, quote, instead of jerking tears, the movie edifies. I mean, you know, I mean, that's a pretty uh, a pretty good reason to, to, to get access to the film. Real quick, how do I get to see the movie in Canada? Is, is it on Netflix yet? Can I buy the DVD? What's, what's happening there? No, I, I'm really hoping we can get a release here in mm, Canada. Okay. It has been released in the U.S. Um, Netflix in the U.S. does carry it. Um, I'm, I'm working on that now along with the producer and director to get a theatrical release, if not a theatrical release, at least to get some foundations on board uh, to bring Decoding Andy Parker into a theater near you, right? So, um, yeah, Netflix in the U.S., so that's the only way that I so know So basically what you're advocating here is that you have to steal an IP address. <laughs> I didn't say see, that. Isn't that what you just said? No, I thought no I... well, no. <laughs> But uh, well, look. Let's work. Uh, let's work on getting this movie into some Canadian theaters. That in the would near be future. fantastic. Thank you for joining me today, David. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you.